Chapter Twenty Three of Mag and Margaret: A Story for Girls by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Excellent. The mid-year examinations of Mrs. Garland's school were drawing near. Almost a year now since Mag Jessup had entered the school as a pupil. In that time, she had proved to schoolmates as well as teachers the position she meant to hold. Nobody thought of her as other than an excellent scholar. She was still behind some of her age in certain studies, but was always so thoroughly well prepared and so sure of all ground that she had been over, that she was steadily catching up, even in these. And in history and composition it was generally conceded that she and Margaret Lancaster were by far the best scholars in the school. As to which of the two was ahead, opinions differed. Margaret Lancaster had her friends, who stoutly argued that of course she was a better scholar than that little Meg Jessup. But on the other hand, Meg had many friends, some of whom smiled triumphantly and said, Wait until you see which wins the prize. The prize which was attracting most attention was the one for English history and composition combined. It was unlike any other award in Mrs. Garland's school. That lady did not as a rule approve of prizes, in the strict meaning of that word. Youthful human nature is too ugly to run a race in which only one can win. This was her explanation to some of her friends who urged more prizes. But there were other friends who said Mrs. Garland was wise, and that the ugliness of human nature in this respect was not confined to young people. But the history prize had the right of way. It had been an institution for many years, being first established by Mrs. Garland's grandfather, who was a student of history. He had arranged that every year there should be a trial of skill in the history class. Every pupil who chose to compete for the prize being required to write a paper of not less than twenty-five hundred words, and not more than five thousand, which paper was to be a sort of historic novel, that is, it was to be written in narrative form, and the characters were to be fictitious, but every statement in it must be true to history, and in keeping with the period of time which the writer chose to represent. One week before the close of the mid-year term, these papers were to be read before the assembled school, and a committee chosen by the faculty was to select the two that they agreed were the best, to be read at the public exercises with which the mid-year closed, at which time a committee of award, originally chosen by the giver of the prize, and self-perpetuating, one dropping out and a new one being added each year, was to determine which young lady should receive the prize, and to award the same. The prize itself was valuable, and was hedged about by useful regulations. It was fifty dollars in gold, all to be spent for books, and only five dollars worth to be bought at a time, with three months to intervene between each purchase. Evidently the old grandfather had had to do with young people who wasted much money in the hasty and careless buying of books. Margaret Lancaster sneered at the prize and its regulations. "'I don't care a straw for his old fifty dollars,' she said loftily. "'Of course I can buy as many books as I want without his money, and I don't have to wait any three months to get them either.' He was an absurd old man who must have had idiots to deal with, but what I am after is the honor. I can win the prize easily enough. Mama says expressing myself on paper is my forte. This she said in the early days of the year, 
before Mag Jessup had been recognized as such a formidable rival. After a time she began to look glum when Mag recited, and to be in ill humor for several hours after Mag's history paper had been returned to her with the peculiar mark on it made by Mrs. Garland's blue pencil, and which every girl in the school knew meant excellent. Twice the mark on Margaret's paper meant only very good, and Mag's was excellent. To a girl of Margaret Lancaster's disposition, this was food for many hours of glumness. Before the former year had closed, Margaret had resolved to go on with her studies in history during the summer, and to practice writing a paper each week, and to get her cousin Fred to help her. Then they would see in the fall if that little servant girl would be her equal. But alas for resolutions! Mrs. Lancaster went with a number of retired naval officers and their families to the mountains for the summer, and life was very gay, and Frederick Ainsworth was not there. For the first few weeks Margaret struggled bravely with her resolve to study an hour each day. But as the days grew fuller of delightful engagements for mountain climbing and choice boating parties, she gradually gave up any attempt at work, assuring herself that anybody would be too stupid to live who would try to study in the summer. It wasn't likely that Mag Jessup would have time to look into a book. She was probably shelling peas and picking over strawberries somewhere but in this last idea she was mistaken. The truth was that Mag Jessup had more leisure than she had ever enjoyed in her life before. Mr. and Mrs. Duane went away by themselves to quiet places where Mrs. Duane could sketch, and Mr. Duane could write on the historic work he was preparing, and Mag went with them. Beyond the looking after their rooms and doing the mending and repairing necessary after the clothes returned from the laundry, she had almost no duties, and was at liberty to sit out in the woods or under the trees in the arbor all day long if she chose, book in hand, so that she was near to be summoned for an errand on occasion, it seemed to be all that Mrs. Duane required. Not that any of them chose to sit at work all day. They took long walks into the wild and fascinating country, and did more mountain climbing of a rugged sort than Margaret Lancaster thought of but on most such excursions it seemed to be the wish of both Mr. and Mrs. Duane to have little Meg with them. On these and other occasions they talked with her about the books she was studying in a way to increase her knowledge of and interest in them. The result of it all was that Meg returned to school in the fall much more vigorous in body and brain than she had been before, and showing very promptly in her recitations what the summer had done for her. Very early in the fall, Margaret Lancaster gloomily recognized her as a formidable rival in history. She was also a rival in other ways. It would be difficult to explain, on paper, Margaret's annoyance when she found that her cousin Frederick not only remembered Mag as the little girl at Mrs. Perkins's boarding-house, but continued to have a lively interest in her, and lavished his kindnesses upon her almost as freely as he did upon his cousin. She never ventured to refer to this but once. It was on a certain day, when she was feeling particularly cross at Mag, because she had so manifestly excelled her in class. Her cousin Frederick had promised to take her for a sleigh-ride in the park that afternoon, and he appeared at the door promptly at four o'clock, with a beaming face and a, 
Hurry up, Margaret, I have little Meg out there holding the ponies, and they feel more lively than she enjoys, I am afraid. Then did Margaret's face settle into a frown. What in the world is she doing out there? John will come and hold your horses if you want them held. She hasn't turned hostler, has she, with all the rest? What are you talking about? asked Frederick, affecting not to understand. Meg is going with us, of course, and, being a plucky little woman, she has undertaken to look after the ponies while I wait for you. Be as quick as you can, Margaret, please. But Margaret was still on the lounge where she had flung herself at the first mention of Meg Jessop's name. You need not wait for me, Frederick Ainsworth. If you think I keep company with servants and creatures of that sort, you are mistaken. When I go to the park or anywhere else, in company with Meg Jessop, I shall be a good deal older than I am now. Oh, come, Margie, said Frederick, in perfect good humor. Don't be a dunce. Meg Jessop is your classmate and the best scholar in the school, if some of the leading teachers are to be credited. One of these days it will be an honor to have known her as a schoolgirl, and to have taken rides with her to the park. Hurry up, we shall not have time for a spin around the park drive before father wants the horses, if you don't hasten. When you take that girl back to her dining room and table waiting where she belongs, or drop her in the river if you prefer, I will be ready to go with you and not before. Margaret's eyes were flashing, and all her common sense was evidently gone. Her cousin's reference to Meg's scholarship had been too much for her. Honestly? asked Frederick, looking at her curiously. Don't you mean to go, Margie? It is a splendid afternoon for driving, and the sleighing is prime. If you really mean it, I won't waste any more time, but I confess I did not think you were such a simpleton. Excuse the plain word, but honestly, Margie, such absurd airs on your part call for plain language. Why, the Duanes, who have money enough to buy us all out, if money is a pass to society, and whose position in the world cannot be questioned, couldn't be kinder to Meg if she were their own sister. Why shouldn't you give up that childish spite you used to have against her, and treat her as she deserves? She is a good girl and a smart one, and everybody knows it. If it had not been for the history class, I think Margaret would have yielded, but Frederick, in his ignorance, would put forward Meg's claim to scholarship, and the poor girl could not bear it. "'Go away!' she said with an angry wave of her hand in dismissal. "'I don't want to see or hear any more of either of you.' "'All right,' said Frederick promptly, and he closed the door and went away whistling, away down south in Dixie. Margaret raised herself sufficiently to see the pony spring away with her cousin, and that hateful Meg Jessop, as she had begun to call her. Then she buried her head in the lounge pillow and cried. These and several like experiences served to increase the poor girl's silly prejudices, until by the mid-year she was ready to own to herself that she all but hated Meg Jessop. Meg, on her part, had as little to do with this particular schoolmate as possible, and, as far as she could, forgot her existence. She was very busy and very happy. Most of the girls in school had decided to treat her kindly. Many of them were quite friendly, and others simply left her pleasantly alone. The Duane girls were not there that winter, and Meg missed them, 
but as has been said she was really too busy to think much about companionship i don't think it even occurred to her to notice that she was not invited out to any of the gatherings of the young people when one day she actually received an invitation to an evening gathering at mary condit's home she opened her eyes wide with astonishment and felt half afraid and was sorry that the invitation had come the condits were old acquaintances of mrs duane and mary was one of the older girls in mrs garland's school and one who had been kind to mag from the first mag went to the party because mrs duane advised it she was frightened at the thought and felt sure she should rejoice when the evening was over but to her surprise she enjoyed it kate perkins was there and renewed her acquaintance with mag in a very friendly manner and most of the girls were cordial to her moreover frederick ainsworth was present and saw to it that mag had not a moment in which to feel left out and deserted in thinking of it all afterwards mag said as she had said a hundred times before how good and kind he is not a bit like anybody else though what she meant by that last it might have been hard for her to have explained as there were certainly several people who were uniformly good and kind to her one little experience connected with the party had its pleasant and unpleasant side they were studying a group of them a very old engraving on the library wall and a discussion arose as to what period it represented several different views were brought forth and argued until at length one of the schoolgirls said ask meg jessop she is sure to know whereupon meg offered a suggestion unlike any of the others and sustained her views against earnest opposition until at last the owner of the picture was appealed to and pronounced her right i told you she would know said the little girl triumphantly who had first called upon her then margaret lancaster quite loud enough for meg to overhear said of course she would know she sits up nights and snatches all spare minutes between table waiting and errand running to cram dates into her brain and is as proud of it as ever a peacock was of his tail if i had my living to earn i would try to give myself more useful study than the piling up of a lot of dates that nobody cares for meg tossed about on her bed that night unable to sleep for thinking of this speech was it true that she was proud of her knowledge of history did she appear like a peacock to others as well as to margaret lancaster it made her cheeks burn to think of it underneath was another thought was she learning to like margaret less and less how could she help it when the girl was steadily and increasingly disagreeable to her but she must help it if margaret were determined to be her enemy then her duty was plain and had been settled long ago what was there she could do to make herself really love that girl if there was only something she could do to help her but all such opportunities were past and would not be likely to come to her again are these unusual thoughts for a young girl to bring home from a party does not that depend upon what the young girl's life is suppose she belongs to those who are steadily trying to obey the direction whether ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do do all to the glory of god End of chapter twenty three